Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep podcast. Today we continue our discussion on missions and the local churches need to be committed to missions with special guest Matt Cup. Welcome again to Shepherd the Sheep Podcast. This is Jason Vaughn with Pastor Gino Glamro and special guest Matt Kopp, uh, missionary from Malawi. And so we are here continuing our discussion from the last podcast on missions. Say hello, guys. Oh, there, there. there I am. Yeah, we are back with Matt Kopp and we had a great first discussion. Um, looking forward to this one. So how are you doing, Matt? Doing well. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for having me. Welcome to Vegas. <laughs> Pretty much a local at this point. Feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, good discussion last time on missions and part one, really, we kind of walked through what it means to be uh, what missions is. And we decided that that is a church is helping churches internationally and local locally with pastorally qualified men who are church centered, qualified according to scripture, scripture, first Timothy three, Titus one elders, men who are experienced in ministry, understand ministry and are local church driven because really making disciples is an every church thing. And what a privilege for churches to be involved with churches. We ended our last discussion a little bit talking about um, what can I do to support missions? And so we talked about, right, the need to pray for our missionaries, the need to encourage our missionaries, the need to help our missionaries with whatever they need, uh, whether that be wisdom, counsel, you know, relationship, friendship, that kind of thing. Uh, and then also we talked a little bit about giving financially to them. But in order to help us better understand what it means to to come alongside and serve missionaries and support missionaries and to help missionaries, I think it's always really beneficial for us to know uh, what it's like to be a missionary and what it's like to live on the field and what it's like to write the different trials and circumstances you go through and what are things that people have done to help you better and to encourage you along the way. And so we're just going to kind of pick Matt's brain here and let him talk about his ministry in Malawi and uh, I look forward to it. So, yeah. Go for it, Matt. Like what maybe do we do want to start from the beginning? What brought him to Malawi or... Well, I think, uh, uh, Matt, first of all, you probably have, um, right. Quite a, quite a story in terms of getting there. So maybe, maybe share with us what, what you think would be important for somebody who doesn't know you and your ministry in Malawi and how God led you there. Sure. Well, uh, you know, not to be overly long with anything, but I want to put in my little plug for uh, short-term teams done right. Okay. Um, that's how both my wife and I, uh, really gained a heart for missions, uh, and then actually, Started dating shortly after one of uh, said short-term teams, and uh, so really great benefit of teams. Um, but uh, no, we were just really grateful to have a desire to go onto the missions field from um, uh, you know our college years, really. But then God took us on 
quite a long path that involved uh, being going to seminary, uh, serving in the local church, uh, in a variety of different ministries, and as an associate pastor. And um, during that time, our church was committed to missions as well, and uh, had an opportunity to go visit Malawi just to see what the Lord was doing and how our church could partner uh, with the church over there. And then over actually a couple of years uh, of that partnership being in place was eventually uh, when the Lord specifically uh, opened up the door for me to go over and serve there in a pastoral role at International Bible Fellowship Church. had been there with a short-term team when they had announced that their uh, then uh, sort of teaching pastor was going to be coming back to the U.S. And so it was both of our elder boards uh, really working together to kind of put all of that in place, but it had been a desire that had been on our hearts for quite a number of years. Great. So, so that's interesting, right? Cause you, you were in ministry for how long before you went on the field? Uh, about 15 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there were some times that, you know, some of that was just volunteer. Some of that was sure. seminary, but uh, yeah. Wow. So that, that's, that's pretty cool. That goes back to the old, the last podcast here. We talked about sending season the guys who have some understanding of ministry and what it means to be in ministry. And so, you met your wife, and obviously your wife was committed to to going to missions too. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's uh, that that's I mean that's one of those things you look back and you're like, man, God's providence was beautiful, right? Because you didn't go, you you didn't. I just I, I want to help you out here. You didn't go on the STM for the purpose of looking for a wife. <laughs> no. No. Yes. That's, yeah. 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 So you went on Good the STM to serve. There. Yes. Yeah. And you hear your wife sees this, this strapping young man who's got a servant heart and she fell in love and the rest was history. Oh, yeah. It's a little rockier than that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fair. I think if my wife knew what I was going to be 10 years after we got married, it would be rockier too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, well, that's great. So you, so you were in ministry for a little bit and then, um, were you open to anywhere or were you, were you one of those that was like, man, Africa's where missions takes place? Yeah, no, uh, Africa hadn't really, you know, any part of Africa been on the radar, uh, initially, uh, we since have adopted three kids from Ethiopia. And that was what really began asking the question, is there a place on the African continent huh. uh, where we could serve Malawi? We had to look that one up uh, on Google to find out where it was when we were first uh, told about it. And so, um, my personal passion was never for a specific country or people group or anything. It was more for the church to want to serve the church where there's lack, where there's need. And so we were real cautious that way that we didn't want to go until we felt like it was very clearly the right fit for my giftedness and even just our family and the way that we're put together. And, you know, uh, the Lord just worked all that out providentially with Malawi being that spot. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love it because I, I think that's actually uh, the. I rarely do I talk to a missionary who's like, I've known since I was eight years old I was going to be a missionary in Antarctica. You know? like, <laughs> they've all kind of like they've just had that heart to go and been really about Lord, where 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 do you need me? And then, but I think even there's you know kind of based on the last the last uh, podcast too. Um, there sounds like there was wisdom and discernment that you still had to look for in kind of choosing a mission field, right? And so what what kind of what, what were some of those factors that you looked for, right? Because you said circumstances. So if you don't mind, like maybe walk us through a couple of the big ones or as many as you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd say some of it was an issue of fit that, you know, I've known guys that I, I would call much more of an evangelist, that mm -hmm. their bent is that way. And if it moves or breathes, they can share the gospel with it just 
instantly. And I, I'm more geared on kind of the equipping side. And so felt like it would be a spot where it was the need for like, you know, building up of a church. And so this wow. fit that with some of the needs that were there. I do also teach at a, a TMAI seminary over there as well. Um, but I would say the biggest thing was just the involvement of the church where I was already serving, that it was our elders looking at this and saying, hey, this is, this is a good fit. And I'd been there. I'd, I'd preached at the church before, done camps with them. So we knew a lot of the people, knew a lot of the leadership. And um, so, you know, that, that, was, that was part of it. Um, and just having our guys be able to affirm, hey, your giftedness, your, you know, strengths and weaknesses fit well with what's going on here. So, Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, me too. There's an affirmation. You're not just willy-nilly sent there on your own authority. People actually laid hands on you, and they actually thoughtfully laid hands on you. They didn't just go like, you're called to be a missionary, but they actually said, no, you're gifted for this scenario. Well, and ironically, I didn't find this out till years later, but the church had actually talked to our teaching pastor first if he'd be interested in coming, and he knew it wasn't <laughs> the right fit for him. Um, but I was talking to him about some other things, and I used Malawi as kind of a my illustration of some things a few times. Yeah. And in the end, he started pushing, and he's like, well, how serious are you about this Malawi thing? And yeah. it's kind of my just my example I'm using. But he started even like kind of nudging me in a sense in that direction. And so uh, in that way, it was great because it wasn't just me, you know, trying to go out there and figure it out. It really was the the leadership of, of the church. And I praise the Lord for that. No, that's pretty cool because like you said, you'd gone out a couple of times really just to help uh, short-term missions, this hunger to help. And which is great. I mean, there, there's a, there's a ministry that can be there too. Even if you don't go somewhere long-term, just the ability to be willing to leave and go somewhere short-term. So you kept going and over time, almost like that became a standard in your head for what it should be like. Yeah. And, um, you know, just seeing it, yeah, a good fit for where our family could be and yeah. um, a church that at that point that we loved and, and wanted to, to minister to. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I think that's uh that's super, that's actually really fascinating how God does that. And just um, even in helping develop those relationships. So by the time you kind of say, yeah, I'm willing to go, there's even people there at the church that already know you yes. that's, that's excited that you're going to come live there with him. Yeah. And so even the, I mean, definitely on the leadership, but even just within the church, body you know people yeah. able to say oh yeah no matt's we've heard him preach he's been in our camps we know him so yeah it was a real blessing oh that's great man that's that's really i love it when stuff like that happens because i think for for some people they just think you know i guess i guess there's always um you know i just you know, maybe use myself as example like when you think of missionaries and going from growing up in texas or wherever to the mission field in your mind, that looks like Indiana Jones, <laughs> right? Like, like the hat comes on and the whip and like you're smuggled into wherever you're going to go. And you like, you know, you got a gun in one hand to fend off the wildebeest and, you know, but, but what's funny is it's actually a very time consuming patient process. Yes. Yeah. And it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the last episode, too. If this is churches ministering to church, if it's the spread of the church, it's not just a lone guy yeah. picking some place and identifying himself as the guy to go plant churches and, and raise them up. But he's a, you know, he's being affirmed by the leadership of the church to go send, being sent out to minister to the church. So I think it's, you know, it's real beautiful when it works when it works that way, which is what churches here in America need to be doing. Yeah, agreed. Well, because even, even um, I mean, like you're a fit in Malawi. But and and we're in Las Vegas here, 
But I'm also fair to say, hey, I know there are parts of the country I would not be a fit for. Um, just just even down to some of my preferences and the way I think would, I, I think I would rub the South pretty wrong at times. Um, you know, and so I'm not an SEC fan. That just kills them. But you know what I mean? Like, and but to be aware of that is actually helpful because if you if you know, hey, I don't need to be here, mm-hmm. you know, instead this part of the world's probably better for for the way the Lord's wired me and the way my family works and right because when you when you went, it wasn't just you saying yes, right? You 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 know your wife's voice is a was I'm assuming a very valuable part of that. Yep. No, yep. absolutely. Yep. And so when you went to Malawi, it wasn't just, hey, this is where I want to be. This, it was in her mind, it was, hey, we both, this is where we have to be. Yep. yep. And then your kids are, they go wherever their parents need them to go. But, but yeah. there are probably, there are probably things for a missionary that they're, that you need to think about with your kids too, right? Yeah. I mean, questions of, you know, just practical things, health and education and, and things like that, you yeah. know, probably some of the, the primary ones, but uh, yeah, you know, we want to only to go to a place where our, our kids would be with us, you know, so that we would, you know, in a sense, serve together as a family and, you know, have our kids in our home the whole time and a part of our church and, and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's helpful. Um, you know, yeah, you wouldn't, obviously there are, there are some family dynamics that would prevent a family from going to different parts of the country. You know, if you, if you had, you know, even just thinking, you know, if you had a child that, that needed um, like wheelchair access, yeah. like Africa or, or different parts of the world are not going to be where you go. Yep. But yeah. there are other parts of the world where perfectly fine. Yeah. And, and we know for us, you know, having five kids, uh-huh. if we're at, at an incredibly expensive, you know, urban center somewhere, we, we might not be the, the best fit for that. But, right. Uh, Why not? You know. no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Are, are five the, kids expensive? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are there, uh, well, that, yeah, I mean, I was trying to think like in Europe, are there parts of Europe where they would just look at a family of five and be like, what is that? Yeah. yeah I don't know. Here in Vegas, they would just think you're Mormon, but right, right. <laughs> yeah. have you had people while you're here to think you're Mormon? Yeah. We haven't, haven't run into that one yet. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's good. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I mean, it's popular here. So, um, well, okay. So that's helpful. So that, that's kind of right. So you, so you go to Malawi, um, and uh, just just so people are aware, right? Because you mentioned you're an elder at the church. Uh, are you? You're not the primary preaching pastor, or are you? I am. Yeah. Oh, you are. Okay. Wow. Yep. So that's a. And you preach in the native language. Uh, the native language of English, thankfully. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the native language. There, no, there it's not. But it's one of the national languages. Um, oh. So English and Chichewa are okay. the two official languages. There's a whole host of other languages yep. that are spoken. Uh, but we do um, all of our ministry in in English. Oh wow! Um, so you did you need to, uh, have you learned the other language or we know marketplace to Chewa? Okay, little um, yeah you know, things that we need to get around. Honestly, we were encouraged even by some other pastors uh, in the country, Malawian pastors. They kind of just said, "Stay home, you know, stay in the city, yeah. train guys in English, and allow them to be the ones that will train." those in, in Chichewa and that will train the guys to go minister to the bush, to the village, those kinds of things. They said, just kind of know your role, <laughs> stay there, serve there. So. Yeah. That, what I just heard was stay in your lane. There you go. 
Yep. Yeah, they didn't have a Chiche word for lane, so. Oh, they don't? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. Neither do LA people. Um, <laughs> uh, and probably Vegasites too now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what's that lane for? Uh, we, have, we have cones. That's all we have Yeah, here. so we have cones. Yes. Lots of cones. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so you're the primary preaching pastor, but you're also equipping and training seminary students. And that, so maybe talk about that role and responsibility of it. What, what is it? What, what's the vision and the goal of that? You know, I know to make disciples, but kind of how does that fit into the making disciples function? Yeah. And I mean, for me, like my primary heart role and responsibility is at the church. Now the goal there has been to replace, like to train up leaders, like permanent long-term leaders as well. And so that's by, even with us being here, there are guys that are, that are preaching faithfully, preaching the word and carrying on the leadership of the church. We praise God for that. Um, but then it's an interesting dynamic in Malawi that there are a lot of churches, a lot of churches, but you have very, very few trained men and trained oh, wow. pastors. So um, they just horrifically mishandle the word. Yeah. And a lot of it's because they haven't been, you know, they, they've never been taught in any way. So our goal has been to try and help raise up and train up local guys so that they can be equipped for the ministry in their local churches. Um We've been having to continually look at what we're doing there at the seminary to say, how do we get kind of the best of the best guys in, able, in order to do that, who are going to still be the most church-focused, not just looking for a degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's our goal there. Do you guys have, like, internships at your at your church for, for other pastors as well? As, do you have, like, an internship program or anything to, to have them, like, walk life with you as a pastor? Or? Yeah, so we actually have just started uh, an internship program at our church, but it's for our own guys. One of them is at the seminary, uh, and but that's really just like internally trying to raise up guys and hopefully send them out to plant churches. Um, but then at the seminary, just this year, we've been putting together a, a, a program that's much more of a life-on-life life discipleship. It's kind of difficult if guys are coming in you know, from far away in the country, uh, and there are some language barriers and things like that with being involved in their churches. But we're trying to find ways to, we can't you know, like replace the church. We can't bring them all into our church, but trying to find ways to really get involved in those men's lives for help them just to be growing in sanctification, but then also in their philosophy of ministry and things like that. Hmm. And these guys are, um, these guys are sent by their own churches. Like the guys that like, is it the same kind of process? Like, you know, with, uh, with, with, with kind of how seminaries are like, you know, they're looking for the, the, their church to lay hands on these guys and, and send them to seminary or these guys just want to go to seminary or how, how does that process work for the students? Yeah. Um, most of them are already pastoring. And oh, okay. Some of them have been in the ministry. It's humbling. There have been guys that have been in the ministry as long as I've been alive and yet they're coming because they've never received any formal, you know, education. So. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. That'd be humbling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that just goes to show that you, should never stop learning. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I would, you also get that too. Like sometimes training is helpful. Well, I mean, usually training is helpful because right. A lot of times you, you think, Oh, I can put a sermon together, but it's interesting. You almost need somebody to kind of like give you some guidelines or some kind of training, even if you're going to later throw the, the guidelines out because 
getting them kind of helps you start to think in a way. And so, so it does make sense to me. Like you can, like untrained guys to me are sometimes always a little bit all over the map mm-hmm. and you can tell it's because they, they've not had some kind of centralized, you know, unifier in their training. And that, that's the beauty of training from, from somebody or the same institution on one thing is there's some kind of a centralized approach that you pick up on. Right. And so if your approach is just pick up a commentary on whatever book you're teaching through and, you know, you picked up sprawls on Romans and then you picked up somebody else's, you know, some charismatic person on first Corinthians and you don't have some kind of unifying, you know, there. So it does make sense to me. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Rabbit trail. Good, good, good stuff. But I think that's helpful too, because, um, you know, so, so kind of in that goal, right. You're, you're equipping, you're raising men or equipping men, helping men to be better shepherds and pastors, right? Because the vision there for Malawi is not to have the Americans there leading Malawi, but to have Malawians leading and making disciples of Malawians. Yeah, exactly. And I think normally what we'd want to see is like churches being planted and raised up and those leaders trained and then them training their leaders and the seminary helping that way. But some ways we're looking at a country and saying, hey, they've got churches all over the place. How can we, and again, our, our primary thing needs to be at the local church, you know, where we're at, but then how can we come alongside those other churches and assist them with some training of, of their men? So, hmm. yeah. Um, what are some of the challenges th- these guys face? You know, they, they're learning the stuff that you're teaching and they're, they're trying to apply it. Like what, what's the challenges that they face as they're, they're trying to, you know, grow in their ministry to the locals? Um, I would say that, you know, one of the, the greatest challenges is that the more these guys become biblical, the more they isolate themselves from the pastoral culture there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And that's been one of the unique challenges is how can we, for the guys that really buy into it, where it clicks, you know, and they're getting biblical theology and, you know, they're understanding, you know, how to rightly divide the word of truth. It begins to challenge the status quo and then they're getting cut out of all the circles they used to run in. Oh, so they be, they, they, they're forced out. They're not, they don't isolate themselves. They're kind of like pushed out of their, of their circles. I would say a, a little bit of both. Some okay. of it they can be, or some of you just start realizing, man, I don't, I don't fit in here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So is that a bad thing necessarily? Or is that a good thing? I, I would say, I would argue that it's a good thing. Oh, okay. But a hard thing. It's a hard, oh, gotcha. oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Cause yes. then you can, sometimes you feel like you're out there kind of on your own. And kind of, uh, you don't have that support or that encouragement. Yeah, and so what what we've been doing uh, on another end, too, is just trying to build kind of a, we would call it like a, ne- a network of churches. Network might be too strong of a term, but we've got three like-minded churches there in town. And um, had a beautiful, back in February, had a joint service together, you know, one pastor preaching, another leading in the Lord's Supper. We hosted it because we have the largest facility and um, you know, we're trying to build some of that unity within the churches so that, you know, there can be just shared ministry, shared encouragement on a pastoral level. And then the other thing we're trying to do is to be raising up and sending out guys from within the local church as well. So that again, it, again, maybe though it might not be a formal network, but there are like-minded churches that guys can rally together, you know, for what, yeah. for biblical ministry. Yeah. Cause these churches, I imagine they're not, it's not like they're like close, right? I mean, how, how, What's I don't know how big I know Manali's kind of sandwiched in the in the middle of a bunch of other countries and 
Yeah, Malawi's got about the same land mass or land size as the state of Pennsylvania, uh, but it's very long and skinny. It's got about 18 million people uh, wow. that are there, um, but they're very spread out, mostly rural. Uh, we're in the capital city of Lolongwe. It's right about a million people, a little under maybe. Um, but there it's not, it's not as mobile as we're used to in the States. So even if churches are relatively nearby, uh, most people rely on public transport. And so um, you, you can be relatively close and you're still not, you know, bumping into each other. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that kind of reminds me. Because traffic, like, I remember just being in the Philippines, like trying to get 10 miles away is like bumper to bumper traffic for three hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Not much has changed in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Right. Bumper to bumper. Uh, well, not, that's interesting too. Cause you know, I, I always joke, I, again, I always joke with, you know, you, when you're going to work too, you're not dodging lions and elephants. It's like, right. I mean, so even to hear a city of a million people, uh, I think, right. Just could try to kind of maybe help us understand, right. Help us to help shatter, our uh, our preconceived notions of what Malawi would be like so that we understand, right? Because you, you live in a house with, like, running water and, like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's unfortunate. I think a lot of people think missions in, in, you know, missions in Africa, and what's the first thing that pops in your head is the Sarah McLaughlin song and, like, the kids, and you're like, oh, that's Africa. Well, it's, it's actually not, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah and Malawi is interesting because – it does look like National Geographic. Like oh, if okay. you get outside of the city, we're talking, you know, mud huts, thatched roofs. Yeah. People really live that way. The the town water pump where everybody goes to, to pump their water for the day. They're very day-to-day uh, community as far as their subsistence goes. Many of them farm. That's how, that's how they live. Yeah. Um, but within the city itself, we don't really have much of a downtown area in Lalongwe. It's relatively spread out. And there are like villages and, and other places you might call them like slum areas, but they would call them like little villages within the city. Mm. So it's real broad, you know, you go to different uh, areas is what they call them there. The city's literally broken up and numbered in various areas with no uh, rhyme or reason uh, to how that numbering was done. Uh, but then you can go to, you know, um, you see very different things depending on which area of the city that you're in. Uh, We have roads uh, in various degrees of being paved um, or not paved at all uh, in some circumstances. Uh, We do have running water from the city, but it's off frequently. So we also have a water tower uh, so that we still have water. Uh, We do have electricity from the city when it's working and times of the year, like right now (laughs) it's, it's, down more than it's up so oh, we do man. have a generator as well yeah um most people live like we live in a, in a middle class malawian neighborhood where some of the few uh, expats that are there uh, but everybody's got walls around their property uh, just you know for safety yeah. but uh, we do drive cars we do live in a house and uh, yeah yeah i think that's always right i mean it's again because people don't know and so um to me, it's always helpful to kind of have a, a real, a real image of what life is really like, you know what I mean? And so, because, you know, otherwise you just get this vision of, wow, do you ride an elephant to work or do you like, you know, how many, how many lions have you killed? You know, and the reality is you may have gone lion hunting, but you know, it's like, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, 
Now, all my South African friends were always like, it's not like that, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. But, yeah. Now, it wasn't like Guam, you know. It wasn't riding the donkey home every day. I don't think there's donkeys in Guam. Oh, okay. Carabaos. Carabaos. Okay, okay. There are donkeys in, in the long way. So. See? Yeah. Well, I mean, and so. to be fair, when we moved to California, like over half the people that we ran into in California were like, oh, you're from Oklahoma? Yeah. Did you have any horses? <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, it's just the stereotypes exist. Yeah. And so at some point I got to where I couldn't just say, I, I couldn't say no anymore. I finally said, well, I don't know. Have you been panning for gold? And we, we'd have a lot of fun with oh, the Californians. Yeah. So. yeah. Priuses, you know. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had to revise my number. About six hundred and fifty thousand people in the long way. So oh, I was, I was yeah, exaggerating. Okay. So. Man, so oh, hyperbole. Yeah, yeah a lot of, that's still that's so for the main city. That's that seems kind of small for if, if the if the country's eighteen million. So everyone, a lot of people still live out in the bush. Then most people do. Yeah, you've got okay. three major cities in, in one in the north, one in the south, one in the central. Central is a long way. Uh, Blantyre to the south is uh, similar sized, and that's those are the, the two largest cities. So, gotcha. and it's a landlocked country. Yeah, ninth largest freshwater lake in the world. Uh, oh, okay. They're on the east side, Lake Malawi. Yeah, oh. and does uh, does that create problems with them being landlocked, or is that is it pretty like just geopolitically pretty peaceful with the other countries? Yeah, uh, yeah, for the most part, um, they haven't had a lot of issues in their history. They've remained fairly uh, neutral as far as things go. Yeah, okay. What's interesting, you did bring up, I mean, thinking thinking about the, uh, the political side of things there, um, like what is what is life like politically speaking, you know, is racism an issue or is it does it, does it look different than one would expect, you know, looking from the outside in? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think as Americans, our ignorance comes in that we would look and say, well, Malawians, they're all, they must all be the same because they live in the same country. And, uh, you know, you realize that a lot of those country lines weren't drawn by the people that live there. They were drawn by (laughs) other nations coming through there. Uh, But uh, Malawi, there's, there is racism that's there. It's really between tribes uh, and, and it exists. It's, it's something that the church has sought to, to fight against, you know, we in our church, because we've had expats from different countries, but um, you know, we have an elder who's from the north, and we're in the central region, and so um, there have even historically been tensions. He's been the product, or he's, he's felt, experienced racism, I, just, I think is the word that we would use for that, you know, being in the central part of the country, but um, so yeah, it's, it's alive and it's real, but uh, you're reminded that the gospel is what... Uh, you know, does break that down. And uh, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of differences, though, that, that Americans wouldn't necessarily think of. So. Yeah, because it's, it's basically it's the tribal wars. Or it's, it's, I, I like to say what we call racism here is really like tribalism. Yes. Yeah, so just we just happen to like to use color, which is not really the issue. It's really ideologies more than anything. So. Yeah. So, okay, so then... Um, so you guys are ministering at a church there in, in the capital city. Uh, I'm still not confident enough to try to pronounce it. but uh, and, and you've been there how long? We've been there for just over four years. Okay. Oh, that's great. And so uh, so primarily, like the, so the training, so just to kind of go back to something you said earlier, the training of, of seminary students is secondary for you to the church. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's awesome. So then uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about your church. 
Yeah, so we are roughly 15 years old or so as a church. Oh, wow. We started as an English-speaking church on the campus of the African Bible College. Um, and that, um, when my wife and I first visited, oh boy, almost 10 years ago, at that point it was slowly starting to integrate a little bit more, but it was, um, it was more like different groups of people. You could kind of draw lines for you know where the Americans were at, where the Koreans were at, where the Malawians were at. And uh, over did time, you say, did you say Koreans? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. I did yeah. in Malawi. Yeah, yeah. Ah, we used to have a pretty good uh, group of Koreans at the church. They eventually started kind of their own fellowship. But oh, yeah. uh, so there are a couple of good Korean restaurants in town, though, that we love very dearly. Yes. Okay. At least we know where to eat when we go to Malawi. Then. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, gogi, right? Yeah. Exactly. Kimchi. Yeah. Bibimbap. Yep. Mm. There you go. Yep. So, um, but then uh, over the time. Uh, you know, more and more Malawians started coming to the church, and we, we praise the Lord for that. That's kind of been one of our uh, desires. Uh, in coming in four years ago, the church had a real commitment to the Word of God and to expository preaching, um, and uh, we're thankful for that. That was really in the DNA from uh, the pastor that had been there uh, before us had really built that in, and um, really grateful for that. We felt like one of the, the next ways the church needed to grow was in a, a bigger understanding of, of membership, of loving one another, of really being committed to one another. And um, there were a lot of folks that were missionaries and other organizations or doing other things that would kind of stop into the church on Sunday mornings and things like that. And then there were Malawians that were kind of just checking it out. And what is this church that's a mixture of, you know, expatriates and Malawians? And so a lot of what we've been trying to do is just um, help people really commit to one another, commit to formal membership mm-hmm. and, uh, it's shrunk the church in some ways, but it's really tightened the bonds that are there to make it feel much more uh, like a family. And then meanwhile, uh, we've been seeking to, um, you know, just by the Lord's grace, to raise up uh, local leadership. And we now have one uh, Malawian elder and uh, two American elders. And uh, we would have our second Malawian elder, except that since I'm still stuck here, we haven't been able to uh, finish his ordination process. <laughs> so yeah. he's basically fully functioning as an elder. Just, you know, we want to be able to publicly ordain him for sure. his sake and the sake of the church. Uh, and um, yeah, so that's really been a lot of our desire is, you know, that building of community, membership, understanding that, and then to see leaders raised up that aren't going to run into issues with passports and visas and, and those kinds of things for the long-term health and, of the church. Oh, that's great. Yeah, what's, what was the struggle with membership that might have shrunk it? Um, we just had a lot of folks that were that were coming but not wanting to commit formally to, to membership, not kind of commit and say, this is my church. You know, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to serve. Right. You know, really tie in. Gotcha. Okay. So that's it. How do, how do people, how do the locals hear about your church? What's the, is there kind of like a, I know here, like, oh, the internet. Yeah, we get a little bit through Facebook. Yeah, um, okay. Internet's relatively minimal in, in certain ways. I mean, it's had a big impact on Malawi, but there's no like high speed, you know, like we'd be used to here. Uh, for a long time, we were known as the, the ABC church, uh, Africa Bible College <laughs> church. And so a lot of people knew we were there. Years ago, there was a real stigma thinking that it was only for expats because of it being on the college campus there. Gotcha. Um, and, and it was college staff originally that had kind of started it. Uh, so a lot of people knew about it, but didn't know that we were a church, <laughs> you know. And right. uh, so a lot of it's word of mouth is the other way now that people hear about it occasionally, you know, through the Internet, through through Facebook, but yeah. pre- predominantly word of mouth. 
what's the just uh what's the um what's the community like there the environment like there in terms of other churches you know like croatia was predominantly catholic and even though the reformation crept in you know it kind of stayed up by where todd dick is in Mushko city dj so but like in africa is it predominantly outside of you know malawi is it predominantly christian muslim yeah it really depends on where you're at yeah okay um so you know islam continues to make big inroads into a lot of parts of the country including africa including malawi um statistically malawi is a christian nation um predominantly um our best guess is that of, of those, a very small percentage of the folks that would claim to be believers would understand a true biblical gospel and, and be genuinely saved. Wow. Uh, there, are The Catholic Church is there. The Anglican Church is there. Uh, the Presbyterian Church, uh, CCAP, um, was the, the predominant church for a long time. Everything was really Presbyterian. And then with the incoming of some of the different charismatic churches, um, Assemblies of God is there, and then there's a whole lot of kind of independent charismatic churches. They have overtaken as the probably the largest group. Um, now, again, that's that's a you know I'm kind of putting a category there that's sure. overtaken the Presbyterian Church formally, um, but uh, that's what that's what most of the churches would be uh, in the area. Most people, if you ask them, would say they're Christian. Would say they go to church. They might go to church, but wow. um, again, very few that would really understand the gospel and the word of God and what the church really should be. Was Malawi one of the British Empire? It was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Livingston there you go. came through there. Uh huh. Yep. Had a profound impact. Yeah, it's kind of like the South then. They all claim to be Christian nominally. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Very similar. Jason, it's kind of your. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are they big sports fans? Um. Well, there's some soccer and uh, football in the country, and the yeah. ladies. Some of the ladies play netball, and uh, huh. yeah, play netball. That actually sounds interesting. What is is that like? Close to any other sport? Uh, it's similarities to basketball, except no backboard, just okay. a hoop and no dribbling. Wow. And, uh, More skill required. Yeah. Oh, huh. yeah. Interesting. Oh, that's great. Okay. So, um, yeah, the, I guess that was kind of, that's one of those questions, right? Because you like, I'd like to pray, I'd like to understand how to pray for a country. And I think kind of understanding a little bit of its culture is helpful. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's to me, it's that, you know, when you pray for Italy or, or Croatia, there's that man, like, you know, and really even Spain and, and a lot of Europe, uh, to a lot of those people, uh, Christ is the name associated with a heavily political organization that has entangled themselves in politics and unfortunately has, you know, a 10 volume book on the amount of atrocious things that have done to people, you know, and so you come along and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And, you know, to them, you're just like this Romanish, we'll call it this Romanish church, mm. you know? And so they hear you and they're like, you know, so they, they kind of almost instantly put their guard up because they're, they're just, they're worn out by what they've lived under in the Catholic church. Yeah. And, um, you know, so you, you just kind of realize, wow, like God can break that, but, but it, it, it seems to take, right. It's not quite the same as growing up in a place where, where you hear people freely talk about sin and the need to know Jesus. 
Yeah. yeah. What we face is a very African version of the prosperity gospel. Okay. And it, um, in, in many ways ties in well with, uh, some of the beliefs in like witch doctors and, and some of that, where you can just kind of replace some of the titles oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and the names, you know? And, yeah. uh, so there's a deeply ingrained where people, you know, they'll talk about Christ. They'll talk about church. They'll talk about the Bible. They'll quote scripture, but horrifically out of context and, um, you know, no, no relationship with Christ. So in some ways it's sad because, yes. you know, very religious and, and very Christian and yet, not knowing Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's interesting because, you know, it almost doesn't matter your culture or context. Uh, The one, the one, the most uh, comforting text, Philippians one, six, he who begins to get a work in you, he will complete it. And the Holy spirit has not been kicked out of any country or region. Right. Because, um, because of past, or, or the whatever faulty gospel exists in the country. And I think every country probably has some kind of weird, nuanced, false gospel. Yep. You know, uh, even if it's L.A., you know, that government's their, their religion, right? And, and they're all atheistic in, in mind. But everybody has something. But it, it also does, too, kind of, I think, help direct the way you pray for people. Because yeah. it is different. You know, on the West Coast, you meet somebody, oh, are you a Christian? No, I, I don't even know what a Christian is. You know, in Oklahoma, it's, it's kind of the same thing you're talking about. Oh, are you a Christian? Oh, of course I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, I grew up a Christian. Yep. You know, and, I, and I go to this church and you happen to maybe know a little bit something about that church. And in your mind, you're like, man, that guy doesn't, he kind of preaches a watered down gospel where, hey, Jesus wants to make your life a little better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, though, I can kind of be like, well, I mean, knowing Christ does make your life better. It's hard for me to stand up and say, that's the gospel. Like yep. that's the most accurate representation of the gospel I can give. And so, you know, it's just, just helpful to know that when you're praying for Malawi, because, you know, at some level you have to, and this is where things get offensive in the South. You look at somebody and say, are you sure you're a Christian? And that's, that's an offensive, yep. you know, even though the guys just invited you to some uh, gentleman's club while you're sitting in Sunday school and you're kind of like one, that's not a gentleman. And two, uh, no, that's in, but you know, it's the, it's the same thing. And I'm sure in Malawi too, right. Where you've just got, you almost have to con- convince people you're actually not a Christian because yep. just cause you think, you know, which is hard because again, you know, Oklahomans were very good at don't judge. You can't judge people. And yep. they had all the litany of, but yeah, it makes difficult, makes long suffering and patience. Very important. Yeah. And you've got a huge missions field sitting in the pew, but yes. uh, yeah, you have to start by convincing them of their need. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is a Wikipedia that seventy-seven um, percent claim to be Christian in Malawi. That's a huh. huge number. Wow. Yep. Yep. But that, but that does include like Catholicism and, uh, and other branches of, you know, Christians. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's I guess some everyone there has some kind of version of Jesus Christ. It seems like. Yeah, you know, that's like I said. One of our elders, uh, he is estimated maybe ten percent of that seventy-seven <laughs> percent would would be able to articulate a biblical gospel. Okay. And there's, I mean, there's interesting stories. You know, he tells us of a time when uh, the Jesus film was being shown in Malawi. And at one point they had something like more converts than uh, the population of the country, you know, and things like that, where it's why, because you come back and get to watch a movie again each night. And all you have to do is sign this card, you know, (laughs) that you became a Christian. And that's how they get those numbers uh, with a lot of it. Like, yeah. And I don't, you know, not to judge anybody's motives on it, but certainly to judge the effectiveness of what was going on. Like, no, here's a whole bunch more people that are 
you know, claiming Christ, whatever, yeah. sometimes even being baptized, but no understanding of the gospel. Mm. Wow. Gosh, I think that's what the casinos do. They, they try to get you to stay in there. And as long as you like sign a card, you, Hey, come back tomorrow. You know? Yeah. Free. You know, it's almost, it's yeah. funny. Like, right. The, the casinos know how to keep you in the casino. Yep. yep. And it, it doesn't take long for the church to figure that out. Yeah. Yep. It's a false sense of, uh, you're going to win something. Yes. They want you to believe that, but in the end, you Vegas always wins. Yeah. Vegas always wins. Uh, and you know, I think some people, they have a, like, like a genuine desire to help people or whatever. And yeah. I think what's easy to see is that at times that can just be taken advantage of. Cause people see it as an opportunity like, well, Hey, these guys, this ministry will come in. They'll do this. They'll bring this. They'll leave these things if they come. And so, you know, they'll keep getting invited back or whatever, things like that yeah. happen. And, uh, yeah. Sad. So the most helpful thing to me was the reality of you're dealing with cultural Christianity. Yep. Wow. And that's huge. Yep. Which, uh, which makes it even more important to support missionaries who do the work of ministry because yes. of the fact that if you really think about it, those people really are not looking for the true gospel. So yes. you almost have to, you know, be there with a the mission to bring it, and you need to support that mission. Yeah. So. No, Gina, that's a really good point because uh, I mean, if I if I turn what you just said into the video you probably could plant something in Malawi and build a large enough building. And we know how to, we human beings know how to fill buildings, right? And with the right philosophy approach and look from your speaker and the right kind of, you know, attitude and edginess and, and the right niche. And you got 5,000 Malawians there. And then think about the missionary report. Hey, we, uh, oh, yeah, our missionary in Malawi's got 5,000 people attending his service every Sunday, you know, which which actually is funny because that kind of thinking is actually an indictment on the church mm-hmm. because it's it's a it's a revelation that our our assess our ability to assess with criteria is off. Our criteria is off. So yeah. our, then our assessments off. But in America, how can it be wrong if you filled the room, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. which which is like, again, goes back to the need, one, I think, uh, never to look at a missionary's how many people are there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes maybe, right? If, I mean, if a missionary comes back with a story of we just can't, one, we can't stay in the same location, or, you know, if they're in their sixth different church, and uh, or, you know, they can't keep more than three people in the church, there might be something there worth asking about. Yeah. But I think it's probably more, more to the point that man, you, right? I mean, I don't. We we didn't even ask you how big your church is because it almost doesn't. It really doesn't matter, yeah. right? It's more of man, are you faithful to do what God's called you to do? And so, as as a as an American sitting here in Las Vegas who wants to help you, I think for me, just if 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 somebody came to me and said, "How do I help Matt?" What I've learned about your situation has at least given me some discernment in how to pray for you. Um, better understand the context of the ministry you're doing because I think that's beneficial, right? Like one, I want to pray for the Malawi people mm-hmm. as much as I want to pray for you and your wife, Yeah. but to understand your ministry goals as a pastor is beneficial because now I want to pray for you in a pastoral ministry way. But I also want to want to pray for the men that are being equipped. So all of these things, hopefully if you were listening today should help you in the way that you serve Matt. Mm-hmm. And so then if you want to 
to give to Matt to help him, that's an option that we can that we can get you in touch with that if you want to give directly to him um, because that's beneficial. But then just kind of on the last thing, I want to call this uh, niche ways to encourage you. What are some niche ways to encourage you, Matt? Like uh, you, you mentioned it either, either in the last podcast or this, right, that, that those emails or text messages that are encouraging to you are very encouraging. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some things that people have done that have just kind of been encouraging for you and your wife as you, you know, and your, or your family as you're just, you know, doing, doing ministry, which you're in the trenches and just by the way, my plug is, uh, if you've never been in the trenches in ministry, uh, it's hard work, but, uh, this is what I love. Matt and I were talking, I think a week or two ago that ministry is hard work, but not like other places are not hard work. Right. And so I never want to say ministry is hard work. You know, I I wouldn't want somebody to hear one of us at this table say that and think, we think our job is harder than your job. Like everybody's work is difficult. Yeah. Um, but just also, so, you know, in, in pastoral ministry, sometimes you do take your job home with you. And sometimes you're laying awake at one in the morning, praying for somebody you're trying to shepherd you know, with this unfortunate reality that you may be praying more for them than they are, right? And so there, there is a burden that comes with pastoral ministry too is what I'm trying to express. Not not necessarily that our job's always harder than other people. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No. It's not hard to make coffee, but <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I'm saying. So what are some things that people can do to kind of encourage you, you know, in that lane? Sure. Yeah, and I you know, appreciate what you said at the beginning because – Everybody, it's going to be different for every missionary in every in every different setting. Yep. Um, you know where they're at, what their team is like, and all of that. I think for us, some of the things that have been encouraging is just people finding ways to stay in touch. Um, you know, iMessage works in Malawi and WhatsApp and Telegram and you know yeah. email. You know, things like that. I don't know if people in America still use email or not, but what is um, that? Yeah, <laughs> that's that thing Caitlin keeps telling me to check. <laughs> So, you know, but just ways for people to, to say hi. Um, there's a gal from church that supports us in, in Michigan, and she almost sends like, you know, we're, we're supposed to send out our update letters, you know, so people can pray for us. She just sends updates about her family and about the church, you know, every, every month or two, and um, not with a high pressure to respond back, but it's just encouraging. Like, we know what's going on at, at the church there, and we know what's going on in their family. And I think my wife had only met her one time uh, when she started doing that. Um, yeah, and just those occasional texts and emails to stay in, in contact. It's encouraging if people ask to pray for something and then follow up with it later on, you know, Hey, how's that going? Um, and and by the way, that's, that's, um, that's not easy to do. And so when, when, when you get that right, because unfortunately a lot of us have a out of sight, out of mind kind of mentality and, you know, I'm sure you're like me where you don't take it personal because you just realize, man, that's just unfortunately the world we live in. Yep. But, but what, but in order to do what you're saying, that takes a very intentional love, which, so what I would say just a couple with you, if you're hearing what things are Matt saying and say, hi, I can do that. But how do I do that? I mean, honestly, it's not offensive. If you put Wednesday, 8 a.m. text, text Matt or email Matt, some kind of update. Right, because you've actually put thought into it and you put a game plan into it and then you put it into action. It's not, yeah, does that make sense? Like it, it doesn't make it less loving. No, uh-uh. it's yeah. planned. It's, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, we love hearing how we can pray for other people too. 
Because yeah. that's another way to feel connected. It's not just, you know, people just asking us for prayer requests, but sometimes just telling us what's going on or, or asking, hey, could you guys pray for this? And, you know, love to feel connected that way. Sometimes people send us stuff in the mail, like especially for my kids. Some of them do email, text message, but, you know, little things in the mail. It might take one, two, three, six, nine months to get there. It has happened. Um, but, you know, a, a postcard, a letter, those kind of things are just a real, uh, you know, encouragement right. uh, that way as well. So. Right. Yeah, so um, so don't send you a car. It may not make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, uh, but I think that's helpful. Um, you know, it's also one of those where, you know, I think maybe, you know, if you listen to this in Cornerstone and uh, get involved in the missions team because I know Matt sat down and talked to the missions team about a lot of these things. And he's going to be with us for a little while in that missions team. But But if we can have the manpower to set some of these things up, and that's super beneficial as well. And I can tell you that I'm sure, uh, I hope it was you that said this earlier. If not, it's going to be awkward. Uh, but but the ability to come out and visit yeah. is really super beneficial for you as well. Yeah, you know, and it's and you know, it's not something we'd ask because that's a big ask. But yeah. we have had you know different churches just send folks to visit, not with a not much of a huge agenda necessarily, but just to get to see life there and. Man, what an encouragement that's been! Our, our kids love that. The church is encouraged by that too. Yeah. You know, to I think sometimes when the church in Malawi is like, "Wow, there are churches in America that that care about us, care yes. about our church, and yep. what God's doing." Like that speaks volumes. No, I think that's really helpful because um, it's it's one of those, right? And the funny part is Curtis Thomas's book, "Alive in the Body of Christ." He actually tells people you should send invoices or ambassadors out to the, out to your missionaries and see what life's like on the missions field. Uh, you know, you, it's so funny. I wonder how many of those, you know, horror story mission missionary stories would cease if more churches sent people onto the field to see what they're really doing. Not, not that you're sending out to check up on people, but, um, but it's interesting, right? Because that's a relationship and, and, you know, um, so anyway, yeah, little, casual thought there i'm gonna stop my rabbit trail right there yeah well it's probably a good time to to wrap up anyway at this point so yeah well i mean matt's got other things to do yeah yeah i'm just now waking up so now now (laughs) it's like i'm ready to rumble yeah yeah well it's uh matt uh one we're thankful for you thanks for being here uh thanks for uh being awake while we weren't or while (laughs) i wasn't and then uh but let me let me pray for you uh and then um uh yeah, we look forward to, to being in touch with you some more. And uh, yeah, let me let me just pray. And so uh, again, if you're if you're listening in uh, to the podcast, I just encourage you uh, take notes of what you hear. And I'm sure Matt, if you have more questions for Matt, and come up to him on Sunday and, and ask him, he's Please, yeah. not going to say no. So and we're going to go ahead and publish both of these today so that they'll be out for the next couple of weeks. That way, uh, people don't have to wait a week to hear this to come ask you questions. So. All right, God in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for Matt and his wife and his family. Thank you, Lord, for uh, their love for you first. Thank you that their name is written in your book of life. Lord, that's the great treasure that we possess, to know your son, Jesus Christ, to be in his presence, to know him as Lord, Savior, and to be reconciled, which means to be made friend. So thank you, Father, that we know you, that we have the hope of the resurrection, that your spirit testifies to us daily, Lord, that... We have the hope of eternity and the forgiveness of sins. Father, uh, while we are here, may we live for your son. Uh, be with Matt and his family as they're here stateside. Just 
uh, preparing passports and paperwork to go back to Malawi. Please guide them every step of the way. Uh, please help things to be low stress and, and to move uh, efficiently. Uh, and uh, thank you for their patience and their long suffering in the process. Uh, we pray for their church in Malawi. Lord, may they be, may that church be a pillar of truth to, to Malawi. And may it be a place where you make disciples and raise up leaders. And may it be the kind of church that, that stands on your truth uh, with long-suffering grace, patience, and kindness to the lost. Uh, may they be a people that lead the lost to your son. Uh, always equipping each other for the work of the ministry, always leading each other in love and in service. Help them, Lord, to be humble. Help them to be, may their testimony be a church that strives together and stands firm for the faith of the gospel. Uh, Father, do not let them be alarmed by any opposition or for those who disagree. Uh, to those who disagree with the work of ministry and the work of making disciples, Help us to be sympathetic to them, uh, for that is probably evidence of a lost or unbelieving mind. And so help us to be sympathetic and servants enough to lead them to your gospel and lead them to Christ. Thank you so much, Lord, uh, for Matt and his wife and for his sending church and just all those who are involved in, in having him in Malawi. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for his time here. And uh, just help uh, help us, Lord, show us any way that we can serve them, love them, and help them in this time. We love you, and it's in your sons, and we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank Amen. you, guys. Thanks, brothers.